All right. Welcome, everybody, to Sunday service. Yes, Seaside. Uh, thank you. I need to drink water when I'm up here. I always forget, and then I, I just at the end I'm like, why am I so thirsty? I get all caught up in everything, and I forget to drink water. Uh, <clears throat> so for those of you guys, if this is your first time, my name is Pastor Caleb. I'm one of the campus pastors here at Seaside. Um, and I haven't preached in a long time. I think the last time I preached was about three weeks ago. We had uh, Pastor Dan preach in Hillside. And then uh, Mar- Marcus, we had a Marcus uh, video stream and we had a Pastor Christian video, video stream. And so it's been about three weeks since I preached. And uh, I just want to tell everybody that it is an honor for me to be up here. Uh, I'm not up here saying, oh, I'm all great. Because every time that I prepare a sermon, every time that I get ready to come up here, fear of the Lord comes upon me. And uh, I, 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 I treat this place with honor and respect. And I'm, I just want to thank everybody for coming out and to spend time in the presence of God, uh, hearing the Word of God. Um, one of the things that I've been realizing these days, I've been, I've been married for a little over two years now. I'm pretty old. I'm like 30 soon. Uh, so I got married pretty late. And then uh, we, we've had, I had a boy. Ethan, he's, he's not sleeping. Homie won't sleep these days. Uh, but he's been, he's been alive since November 22nd. <laughs> or he's been alive longer than that, but he's been born since November. He's like four months old yesterday. And, uh, and you know, ever since I've been married and, 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 and I've had Ethan, God's been, like, revealing depth, like, a greater level of love that, that you know, like, I just, I don't know, when you guys get married, some of you guys are, but when you guys, you'll know that, like, you'll realize that there's, like, like God and, and just your spouse will pull out certain levels of love out of you that you didn't know you could go. Certain level of sacrifice that you didn't know you were really capable of. I mean, you get a greater revelation of love through getting married. Okay? All of you guys. You guys all should try to get married. Well, not try, but you guys will get married. Right? Unless you're celibate and get married. Right? And then when you have kids... God, it's not like I love Ethan more than my wife, but there's just a greater level of sacrifice that God puts into me because it's a necessity. I need to, or else I'm just going to leave him at like Home Plus and come home. You know, like, like there needs to be that, that the, 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 the yearning and the desire to protect, to honor, to love, to cherish, you know, to, to sacrifice. It just God puts it in you. You know what I mean? And so, now I feel like I've gotten a greater revelation of what love is and a greater level to love. It's not that I love more than any other people. It's not that I know more about love than other people. It's just that I know more than I did before. Okay? And, you know, because I look at my I love my wife. And I love my wife. It's just like, there's, she just, you know, like, I, sa- I want to sacrifice for her. I want to cherish her. I love her. I love my son. He does nothing. He, he eats, he poops. He doesn't eat poop, but he eats. Comma, he poops. He sleeps. And then and he'll wake up and he'll make noises like, and then I'm like, that's awesome. Ah, so great. You know? He does nothing. He's mad expensive. Okay? Babies cost a lot of money. Okay? You lose sleep. You lose your time, your personal time. But and yet, I love him so much. Uh, it's, a, it's a deeper, a depth to the love that I'm able to carry. But as God has been giving me a greater revelation of love and His love for me, He's been showing me holes that I have. 
shortcomings that I have in my ability to love. As I realize more love, I'm realizing, wow, I'm really not loving enough. He's been showing me that there's, there's areas in my life and, 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 and people and, and, and in, which, in ways that I relate to people, it's just not very loving. As I learn more about love, I realize how lacking I am in love. And so today we're going to look at this thing called love. You know, and get, I want you guys to turn your, your labor and say, I love you. Okay? Say, I love you. The word love gets tossed around a lot in the world. So much so that it's almost lost its meaning. Okay, we hear it all around us. I love you. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my dog. I love gold. I love cheese. My wife will say, I love cheese. I love my iPhone. Right? The word love gets tossed around. Willy-nilly. We hear it in songs. Love takes time. To heal when you're hurting so much. We were, t- we were singing that yesterday. Mariah Carey. And we hear it in songs, love songs all the time. We see it in movies. I'll never let go, Jack. I'll never let go. Oh, we hear about it. We, we see love being this way. And although we hear about love everywhere, it's hard to see a real definition of love in the world today. As a matter of fact, love has been trivialized down to just a mere feeling. It's a feeling that we have. The world sees it as just a feeling. Christians are no better. Christians have turned love into, the, into a topic that we feel that we've already graduated from. Okay? It's like a cliche. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13. Oh, I know that chapter. Chapter about love. I've seen it in the wedding. And I used to have a bookmark with it on it. I know all about that. Christians, you know, we turn love into this automated thing. Like a background music when you're studying. As long as it's on, it's all good. Like a switch that we turn on. Like white noise in the background. That we don't have to work at because we know that it's just there. Something that we have, like a badge, a ribbon that we wear. You know, like in, in, in football season, people wear those pink ribbons for breast cancer awareness. Like, I got this ribbon. That means I'm for breast cancer awareness. It's like, I have this badge. It's love. So that means I love. I have love. But we think it's as simple as that. When we, see, when we see someone new, I'm a Christian, I love everyone, so as long as I say hi, how are you doing, and uh, we think that that's love. Or have you ever heard this? I don't have to like you, I just have to love you in the Lord. <laughs> However, the love that God calls his people to is more than just a blanket statement that we put on all of humanity. He never said, thou shalt love humanity. He said, love your neighbors. It's not a switch that gets turned on when we become a Christian. Love is not meant to be on autopilot. Actually, love is a commandment. Mark 12. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And because it's a commandment, 
is not just a feeling that you have or a word that we throw around. He doesn't command us to feel. He doesn't command us to say. He commands us to do. Love is an action and is meant to be intentional. And not just intentional, but Romans 12.9, it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Why? Evil is opposite of love. People think, oh, evil people have love their kids all the time. That might be true. But in a place of evil, you can't have love. In a place where that's filled with, with selfishness, with, with, with jealousy, with pride, with anger, you, the, can, love can't exist. Love needs to be intentional. And it needs to be genuine. The word genuine in the ESV, in the Greek, is pronounced anupaklitas, which means unfeigned, sincere, but it also means undisguised. And this is, this is kind of my personal favorite translation. It means without hypocrisy. So let your, the New King James actually translates it. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Paul says, let your love be legit. He's saying, let it be more than just words. Let it be more than just just a feeling that you have. Let it be something of substance that you live out in action. Something that won't that you don't just feel, but something that people can see. And so we're going to look at the love chapter, the most famous passage in the Bible. For, for a lot of us, we've heard this, we've read it countless times. The problem for many Christians is that when we hear 1 Corinthians 13, you know, love is patient, love is kind, a part of our brain shuts down. It really does. Because in our minds, it's become cliche. Oh, I've seen it in that wedding. I've heard that so many times. We think we've graduated from 1 Corinthians 13. And a part of our mind, the part of our mind that is about learning and engaging actually kind of shuts down. So today, I want you guys to activate that mind. The Word of God is never a cliché. The Word of God can't be cliché because what? It's alive. It is active. It is a living thing that's constantly teaching you. It always has something to teach us. So open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. I'm actually going to read from the NIV. You guys might all have the ESV. Follow along anyways. The NIV actually for this flows a lot better. It flows a lot better. And this is what I grew up with when I was young, when I saw it at the weddings and on my bookmark. So I'm going to read. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. I'm going to stop right there. The first point I want to make today is that when I read this, and I read about the greatest commandment that Jesus lays out for us in the Gospels, it tells me that love 
is not optional. It's mandatory. But not just that, it's a prerequisite to everything in your spiritual life. It's the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And the absence of it renders everything else you do for God useless. You know that? You might have the gift of tongues. You might have the type of gift of tongues where you get it and you start speaking Chinese. There's stories of that happening. People never learn Chinese in their life. They go get touched by all these people. Oh, really? You might be able to interpret prophecy. You might be so prophetic that you you can read people's mails. Say, thus saith the Lord. And you say something and that, that happens. You might be the most prophetic person in the world. You might have all knowledge, all theology, biblical truth. You may know who Amani Midab is in the Bible. You may know that it's Zacchaeus and not Nicodemus. Pastor Mina. You may know all truths. You may know the Bible inside and out. You may have a faith to move mountains. You might you sell everything you have. Give to the poor. You give a 90% tithe, 99% tithe, live off 1%. You can die for your faith. You'd be a martyr. Go to Africa or go to South America somewhere. Oh, Jesus loves you. <laughs> but if you are not in love, you don't possess the love of Christ. If you're not walking in this love, you're saying it means nothing. God is less concerned about your function but primarily concerned about the source of your function. He's saying, and when it's not that source, when it's not love, it's not that you function less. He's saying you don't function at all. It's like a car without gas. Love must precede everything we do. It's not that things like faith and prophecy and tongues, all that is not important. It's very important. But without love, it becomes nothing. Love has to be the core of us being a follower follower of Jesus Christ. John 13, verses 34 to 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. If. He's saying if we don't, ain't no one's going to know. And we wonder why this world is so quickly rejecting Jesus Christ. I believe that it has less to do with our hardened hearts. Yes, the world has a hardened heart. But it has more to do with our lack of love. Love is of utmost importance. He says come with love or don't come at all. It's like going to play basketball without a ball. Should just stay home. Love is pivotal, and without it, it renders everything else. Everything that we want to do for God, everything that we do for God, it renders it all useless. Why? Because God is love. 1 John 4, 7, and 8. This is the first real Bible verse that I think I memorized besides John 3, oh wait, besides the gospel of the world. This isn't a song. And we sing this, our beloved, let us love one another. You know, you're the only one that knows girl. Oh, too young. But this First 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And everyone who loves 
is born of God and knows God. But he who, thought, who, who does not love, it says that you do not know God because God is love. God says, love is pivotal. Without, it has to start. It's like going to college. It's a prerequisite. It's not classes, but it's like if, if the classes are like tongues and if the classes, you have a class on gift of tongues, a class on prophecy, class on preaching, class on evangelism, it means nothing if you didn't get into the school. It's like going to, like being, going to admissions and paying. You can audit all the classes you want. You can, you can audit every class. But at the end, you have zero credit. That's like what it is. It's a prerequisite. Requisite. Without it, it means nothing. Number two, love is not just a feeling. I said this before, but it's an action. It's something that we do. It's more than just a feeling. First Corinthians 13. When we read this, these are all action words. Okay? Love is patient. Okay? The word that is used here for patient, there's two kinds of words for patient in the, in, in the New Testament. One is like patience, like it's like a, it's a character, like ah, I'm a patient person. And then another one is patience towards people. So this is actually a verb. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not... It does not envy, it does not boast, it does, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking. These are all action verbs. Not a verb, but it, it, it promotes us to action. We need to do love. Love is something we do. It's an action of the will. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the great thing is, and the funny thing is, because it's something that we do and not just feel, it's something that we have control over. God made it this way. When we think that love is a feeling, it gives us an excuse. God, I just don't feel it. Man, I can't control how I feel, God. I can't control how I feel for this person that is annoying me. You made him that way. So I, it's not my fault. I can't, I'm just not feeling it, God. No, God, God didn't make love a feeling. Although it has, involves emotions, it involves feelings. But at the core of what love is, it's an action. We do it. Love is more than just a feely thing. It's a thing of action that we have control over. We have control over our patience. We have control over how we react. We have control whether to be rude or resentful. We have control whether to be jealous or proud, to endure, to hope. And the crazy thing is, it's because it's an action and something we do when God tells us to take it to the next level and say, love your enemies, we can do it. Because you don't necessarily have to feel it. It's just something that you do. Do You do it empowered by the Holy Spirit. You choose to do love. If it was based just on feeling, we would all have our little parties with people that we love. That's not, that's not God's idea of love. And God will test my love sometimes and usually comes in the form of annoying people. <laughs> There's every work that I've had, I, I know this, every, every job that I had, I think, God tests me. Putting one annoying person in there. And if some of you, this, this might all, you might relate to this, right? Yeah. And some of you, if you, <laughs> some of you, if you've never, had this happen to you, you might be that annoying person. 
But man, I, every work that I, every job that I have, God gave me, He would test me. Putting somebody that's annoying, somebody that kind of works my nerves sometimes. And then this past, this, in, my, in my job recently, I, there's this teacher that came on. She's great, great teacher. But but we when we met, she was she was just abrasive to me, right? And she was just like, oh, oh, oh. and I was like, oh, oh, oh. I'm the manager there, right? So I was like, oh, okay. And then, but I remember like she was just abrasive, and so I was really quiet. I was like, oh yeah. And then I remember she did something to really annoy me. And then I was like, hey, 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 hello, hello, teacher, hello, teacher. And then she just walked right on by. And then I said, hello, teacher. I kind of yelled, right? And I said, man, you can't do this. You can't start a printing that's going to take 20 minutes. We only have one printer. If you tie it up for 20 minutes, I, no one of us can get any printing done. You got to do that later on or before class. And then so she's like, all right, I'm sorry. And then I remember, like, I was like, oh, it's so irked. And you know what God told me at this time, at that time? He told me, now you know the limit of your love. It's like, you're, you're, now you know the limit of how far you will go with love. I felt stupid. I was like, dang, I'm a pastor. And, I, and I, I've been trying. I've been trying. She still is very abrasive. I've been trying. I give my face, hi, how you doing? But you know what? It's not a feeling that you have. It's you exercising patience. It's you choosing to not be rude. It's you choosing to not be prideful. It's you choosing to put the other person first. That's love. I don't have to feel it because the feeling may come, will, will come later. It might not. But God doesn't tell you to feel love. He says to do love. As a matter of fact, the greatest act of love is when you do something meet someone else's need, and you just don't want to do it. Sometimes we think when it's, well, it's not sincere. If I don't have the, that kind of motivation behind what I do, it's not sincere. I just might, just might not do it at all. Because if, if I don't feel sincere about it, I don't feel like I'm being loved. I don't, I don't feel like I'm being loving. But no, it's easy to do that when you have motivation. It's easy to be nice to Carol. She's nice. Isn't it easy for me to, to, to be, you know, to like give my wife presents and, and be loving to her because she loves me. But it's, it's, it's when you don't have that motivation. We don't want to do it. But because we are followers of Jesus Christ and we have the Holy Spirit in us, we get over ourselves. And we choose to take action. We choose to love. The greatest example of this is Jesus Christ at the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked the Father three times, can you, can you take this cup away from me? And then, and then God said, can, one more time, can you, can you? Jesus actually did that, you know that? He did it in a lot of holier, holier way. But he, that's what he did. And then the Father said, he said, one more time. But you know what? It says the joy set before him. He went to the cross. Because he didn't want to go to the cross. That shows us that it wasn't like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to the cross, guys. Peace out. No, man. It was agony. It was hard. It was the hardest. You know what? Christ came at a time in history where they had, they had like 
turn execution into an art form to, to create the most amount of pain and suffering. If he had come now, it'd be easy. Like 10 minutes. But he came at a time when execution was the most agonizing thing that a person can go through. It, 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 would, it tore your body into pieces. He did not want to go to the cross. But why did he do it? He, he, he chose love. He, tried, he chose to do love. He chose to do the greatest act of love ever. If God's standard of love was to love the people that love us back, we would all be headed to hell. Romans 5.10, it says, We were his enemies, and yet he reconciled us to himself. The death of his son he saved us. God's standard of love is above us just feeling things and having emotions. He manifested that love through action. Imagine if God's love was just a feeling. Where would we be? If he just felt love for us, but didn't take action. God's standard of love is one of action. It should manifest in how we live our lives. Not just how we feel. A life of patience, a life of kindness, a life of sacrifice. The word love and the feeling of love is not love. It's like having a Ferrari. Okay? The word love is like the Ferrari. Okay? It's a car. <laughs> the feeling of love is a potential that car has to just like go really fast and make these sharp turns. But the action of love is having gas, putting it in the car, and actually driving the car. Without action, that car, it's just a model. It's a really big model of a Ferrari sitting in your house. I've had a friend like that. My, my friend's dad had a Ferrari F10 in his car, in his house. He had driven it into his house. He had a really big house. Looked like a mansion. And he had a Ferrari sitting. But I thought about it. I was like, man, it's just a really big toy. He never drives it. He's just sitting in his house, looking red and shining. <laughs> it's not a Ferrari, man. You've got to drive. And it, our love, it can't just sit there in the form of a word, in the form of a feeling. It has to take action. True love, this is my third point. True love doesn't set limits. But it has boundaries. And it's discerning. It doesn't mean, if you do this, I'll stop loving you. Or if you do this, I'll love you. Because that's putting limits on your love. But boundaries are very different. God doesn't set limits. He loves us unconditionally. But His love doesn't always give us everything we want. It has boundaries. And His love for me, He sets boundaries for me from things that might harm me. That might defile me. Because he loves me, he disciplines me. He gives me tests and trials to stretch me, stretch my faith. Real love has boundaries. I love Ethan to death. But when he gets a little older, I'm not going to let him just run around crazy, picking up knives, picking up scissors, running out into the middle of the street. The loving, for, loving thing for us to do is to put boundaries on him. Ephesians 4.15 Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Speaking the truth in love. 
True love means speaking the truth in love. When your friend's getting into some foolishness, it's not the loving thing to do to just let him, oh yeah, you want to do that? Just do that. We do it in a loving way. But the best, the, the, the most loving thing to do is actually speak the truth in love. There's going to be times when you need to make, have confrontations with people. When you're going to have to tell them that this is, man, your life needs to change. You speak the word, speak the truth in love. When a community group member is going down a path that's not good, the loving thing to do is to rebuke them in love. Not just let them, because, you know, they really like that guy really much. Because, yeah, he might be bad for her, but she really likes him. (laughs) I think she loves him. I should just let let her just, no. Loving thing to do is rebuke her. That dude is bad for you. Real love has boundaries. Second Thessalonians three says, "If anyone is not willing to eat, let him. Let, if, is not if I'm I'm very willing to eat. If, <laughs> if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. I wrote eat eat. So that's why. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. My grandma used this on me. I, I was like, my grandma when I was like five, she's like, go go mow the lawn. We had this like push mower." It wasn't even, it wasn't even, I was not five, I was like seven. It wasn't even like a, it was like the one where you literally had to push it, right? And then I was like, man, I don't want to do that, Grandma. I want to watch my cartoons. And she told me in Korean, she said, if you don't want to work, you don't, you're not going to eat. I told this story before. I didn't eat that night. I told my mom, oh, Grandma didn't feed me. And she didn't say anything because it's biblical. But that friend that you have that refuses to get a job, for them, the loving thing would, would be for, for, them, for you to give them a handout. The loving thing to, for them would be like, oh, let me get some money. But the, the Word of God says no. Real love has boundaries. I'm not talking about people that lose their job. Oh, yeah, if they lost their job, they're in financial, we help them. But if that desire to work is not there, the, the loving thing to do is not to just give them money. When your friends hooked on drugs, the loving thing to do is not... Give them money. Buy drugs. Now we have membership class today, and some of us are taking membership class. And you know, in membership, you know, we have attendance, we have tithing. A lot of people, when they hear about this, they get they're like, "Man, why are you trying to keep tabs on me? Why? What are you like? What are you, the police? Why are you trying to?" But you got to understand, everything that comes that we have in our membership class is from a place of love. We want to keep you accountable. We want to. Make sure that you're living a life that's holy. Living a life that's according to the Word of God. There's nothing in our membership class that we just made up. Oh, we think we should make this up because it's going to give us more money. No. The church doesn't need your tithe. The the lights will stay on even though you don't tithe. But it's because the Word of God, the Word of God, comes down to the Word of God and says, you know what? You're robbing me. How, God? Through your tithes and offerings. And he says, test me on this. If you give the full tithe, if not, I will not open up the heavens and pour out my blessings upon you. He says, that's the one thing. Word of God says, do not test God. Don't test God, you guys. Seriously, don't be like, oh, God. (laughs) Don't test God. (laughs) Right? But he he actually says, test me on this. We want to make sure you're living a life. 
It's out of love. You want to make sure that you don't money doesn't control you. If you can't give your tithe because you want to hold on to that 10%, it means that 10% or that money has some kind of control over you that's not godly. It's not, it's not, it's not from, from the Lord. Membership class, things that are in our, in our membership class, people might hear it and take it the wrong way, but I want you guys to know, it's out of love. The loving thing for us to do is to care whether you come to church. What if you came to our church, became a member, but we didn't, you don't come to church for like six weeks. We don't even call you. And you're at home with a broken leg. Ain't nobody calling me. The loving thing for us is, 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 to, is to make call you. What's up? How are you doing? Is there a reason why you can't come to church? Why well, have a broken leg? Oh, why didn't you call us? From a place of love. Turn your Bibles to Philippians 1. And I want us to read verse 9. I'll read it to you guys. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now our love is to grow not just in how much we love and how hard we love, but it's supposed to grow in knowledge and discernment. Love doesn't mean we're supposed to let people walk all over us, always do what other people want us to do. We set boundaries and we're discerning in how we love. We have those confrontations. We say the hard things sometimes. But it all needs to flow with the things mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13 from a place empowered by the love of God. It's going to transform people's lives. The reason why God wants you to love is because God loves. And the reason why God wants you to love in a way that's not just a feeling or a word is because God loves in a way He takes action. He shows us. He showed us how much He loved us. And so I want to move on to the next part of my message. Practical things that we can do to choose love. These are practical things. Okay? It's not, I don't want to over-spiritualize some of these things. And so some of these might seem really practical to you. But the first thing is put the needs of others first. Serve people. John 13, before Jesus is about to head to the cross, what does he do? He washes the disciples' feet. And it says, he loved them to the end. Other versions said, he showed them the full extent of his love. True love is servant. True love is putting the needs of other people first. True love isn't trying to always get mine. Always, always get mine. Always put myself first. But true love is putting other people first. Number two, tone. My wife is loving this. Tone is how we, it's very important. The, the, the more I've been married, I realize more and more tone is very important, especially to you women. Okay, who's getting, AJ, you're getting married? AJ, take notes here. Listen to this podcast again. 
But you know what? Tone, the way we speak, is very important. Yeah, the way we speak is a is a, the cause is from the heart. Right? It's a heart issue. But the way we speak is also very important because our words have power. It says in the Word of God, our words, our tongue is powerful. It has a, it has the power to kill and give life. So your tone is also very important. Yes, my wife, she's looking at me. I have, I have a hard time with tone. I'll be the first one to tell you that, you know, like, I'm really harsh sometimes, especially to my wife. I, I snap, like, oh, why, why'd you do that? Come on. Like, you can't do that. Like, like, oh, of course. What do you think? We need to, like, I say these things a lot. Like, 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 like it's almost like, what, what are you, dumb? But I don't say it in that way. But I, I, but I make her feel dumb in the way I say it. It may, it may not be that my heart feels that way. I just want to get a, a point across. But it's not loving to her. Although that I may not have hatred in my heart, although I may have all this love in my heart for my wife, if I speak the words in a, in a way that's not good, it's not loving to her. And some of us guys, we need to realize that. The way we speak to people is powerful. You may have all the love in the world, all the feeling, all the, all the good feeling for that person, but you come at them in a, in a tone that's really negative, they're just going to see you as a negative person. They're not going to receive any of that love. But when you change your tone, you know what? I, I, have a, I have this little boy in my class. His name is Harry. And he came from, I don't know, he came from a really like a messed up kindergarten before this because he has the worst habits in the world. So I, I got my kids, like, locked down. They, they don't raise their hand before they get up. You know, I have, like, people, like, I have the most amount of kids, but I have them all pretty under the lock, pretty good control. And then uh, I'll be in class, and then I'll be like, all right, Turn your pay, and then he just gets up. <laughs> and he just like walks around the classroom. And the first time he did, it, I just watched him do it. And he like he go inside, he'll like look at the ha- I have a hamster in my class. He'll look at the hamster. I'm in the middle of like teachings at page three. Listen, and he'll wake up, go to the window. Look at the window. I'll be like, Harry, sit down. He look at me like, like it's like, what? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Sit down. <laughs> what are you talking about? And then like I, I and then I say, don't you can't don't get up. Sit down. And so he, he's like, but then like and then we'd be writing and I had the kids writing and then he would, he would like draw a picture on his paper and it like really irritates me. I told him for like, hey Harry, don't draw pictures. And then like the next page, you draw another picture. I'm like, Harry, don't draw pictures. I told you, man, erase it. And then and I found myself at one point, I was like, just like, I was like, my tone was really bad with this kid. But he was just working my nerve. Everything I told him, he would do that. It was like that story of the, the frog, the Korean story. Everything that the mom told him to do, she, he'd do the opposite. And I was just, and then, and then my tone was really bad. And I was like, I can say, I was like raising my voice. And the other kids were looking at me like, why is Caleb teacher so loud? And then, and then I decided change my tone. Because you know what? My heart had changed for that this boy. I was getting, I had all this frustration. I was having all this kind of like this anger. And it was almost becoming resentment. I was starting to resent this kid a little bit. And I decided to change my tone. So I was like, right. So I would talk to him. He would do something stupid. I was like, Harry, can you not do that, please? And he would sit down. And you know what? It didn't change the way he, he's still like that. <laughs> but you know what? It changed my heart. It, cha- it actually, the way that I talked, 
actually changed how I felt for this kid. I realized, man, this boy had a teacher that did not care about him at all. Let him do whatever he wants. Had no boundaries. And so, like, our tone is very important. When you guys, people, when you guys get married, right, I'm learning this too. So I'm, I want to tell you, I'm not the master of this. As a matter of fact, I'm probably the one with the biggest problem at tone. But tone to your wife. May it be good. I promise, honey, I will, my tone get better. Keep you accountable, everybody. But tone is very important. How we speak is very important. We can do it in a way to give love, or we can do it in a way to block love. Point number three. You don't always have to win. We don't always have to be right. This is also for you guys. For the sake of relationship, sometimes you may have to be right. You may have to be wrong. You don't always have to be right. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, it does not boast. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Just because you don't win doesn't mean that you lose. You don't always have to be right. We were in Japan, and we went to this Tokoyo Inn. The first hotel was pretty good. We went to another place in Osaka, and it was a bigger room. It had two big beds. And then um, I remember we got in, and the, the heater wouldn't work. Right? We turned on the heater. No hot air came out. So Mina called in her broken Japanese. She's like, oh, Anatawa, da, da, da. Oh, he called. And they had no idea what she was talking about. And then, and then she was like, oh. And then push this button, but like, it's it not working. And so we actually got this, like, Japanese girl that studied in Australia that spoke English. She was lived, that was staying in our, in, our, in our hallway. She came, and then she actually, like, got it to work. And then we, and then, because we, like, we were carrying, like, a good amount of money that we wanted to, like, send to America. And so we had, like, like a little bit of money with us. We wanted to put it in the safe. And I pushed the safe. Tick, tick, tick. Because I know how to do it. I've done this many times. I'm not stupid, right? You put in the code and you push pound, right? It says it right there on the piece of paper. I go, tick, 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 tick. And it goes, eh, eh, eh. Like, literally, for like a minute. And then it stops. And I was like, oh. So I did it again. Tick, 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 tick. Eh, eh, eh. And it stops. So I was like getting frustrated. So I, and I was like, honey, call. Call them and tell them to come up and help us. And she's like, oh, I don't know how to say that. <laughs> and I was like, do you know how to say come? And she's like, no. <laughs> so I was like, ah. Oh. And then so I like, I tried to, t- I talked to him. And then I was like, can you come up? And then I just said it in English. She goes, oh, I never said that. And she hung up. And she didn't come up. <laughs> so I call again. And at this time, they're just straight ignoring my phone calls because she knows I'm a foreigner. I, I understand how you foreigners feel now. But she, she was like, she's totally ignoring my call. I let her ring for like 10 minutes, no answer. No answer. I get, I'm like, because it, it should work. I'm right in this, right? It's not working, right? She told me to do this. I did it. It's not working, right? And so I go downstairs, put on my pants. Go downstairs, and I and then and then I, I thought I knew, I knew that I knew that uh, like I because right before that there was all these uh, tourists from China, and so the place was like packed, right? It was really packed. So I, I like part of me was thinking, oh maybe they're really busy because it was like when we when we went in it was like packed. It was like a sea of people. But I went down there empty. I look at the front desk, they're all just talking. So I go up to the lady and I said, hello. I said. Lockbox, not working. Come, right? <laughs> exactly what I said. And she was like, oh. so okay. And then she took out this key and came up with us. 
And then she, there's like this electronic key. She pushes the electronic key. She does it and it works. And then she goes, no problem. I go, no, you speak English. Right? And it made me feel mad dumb, but it didn't work when I did it. But I couldn't, I couldn't, do it. and then I was just getting frustrated. And I was like, alright, bye. And then she, and then, and then I'm not even kidding. I tried it again, and it worked. And I was like, alright. And then I tried it again the next day. It didn't work. I was like, oh. But you know what? Oh, that was Sunday. And I remember I was me and me and Mina and Mina's dad and Mina's grandma. We were gonna have a little, like a Sunday service at their house. Mina's grandma's not a Christian. Mina's dad's not a Christian. But they were willing to have me preach like a short message in English and, and then uh, me and his dad was going to translate for us. And so, so I was like, oh. And I asked God, I was like, I was like, like, I can't be like this, right? And so it didn't work. And, and then, like, it didn't work when it had to work, right? Because we're, we're going to leave now. And then the safe wasn't working. We had all this money. I didn't want to carry around with me. But then I was like, and then I was like, oh, I should just call them. But I said, you know what? You don't have to be right. Okay? Just, just, like, like, for the sake of Sunday, okay, you, you don't have to be right. You don't have to, like, weigh this in front of their face. Just, just take a chill pill and relax and just carry your money. And I was like, all right. And so I actually, I, I made a decision not to make a fuss about it. And you know what? I said, you know what? If I'm wrong, and you know, like, you know, there, I'm right. But, you know, I'm just going to let it, I'll let it go. And then I remember... Mickey, Mickey, me and his dad came up, and then he, he goes, I go, oh, man, it doesn't work. And he goes, tick, 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 clink, and it worked. And I was like, oh! But then, you know, I realized that if I had gone down there and gave him a piece of my mind, I realized, man, like, God was telling me, like, compose yourself and be loving. You don't always have to be right. You, you don't have to justify yourself because God will justify you. I know it's a very trivial thing. A lot of times, we as Christians, we, we, we act in this way. We have to be right. When we're having an argument with an atheist, we know that we're right, right? But in the end, you don't have to be right. You can, you, it doesn't mean that you're wrong. It doesn't mean that atheist has, has turned your way of thinking. But in the end, for the sake of relationship and for the sake of love, you can choose to not be right. You don't have to always win. You don't have to always be right. Jesus was right. He knew he was right. He knew how everything was going to end. He knew that he would win, and yet he remained humble. He went to the cross and died the death of agony meant for a criminal for the sake of love. He, out of every person that was ever existed in history, he was the only person that was completely right. He had every right to say, I'm right. Y'all are wrong. And yet he, he remained silent for the sake of love. This is, this is how we carry out love. This is how we do love. Number four, choose to see the good in people. It says it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. See someone and they're acting a certain way, and you're like, "Oh, I just I know the type of person that you are, Jay Sham. I I know you. 
I know this. I, I know exactly how you're gonna treat me. I know I, I know exactly what the type of person that you are. Have you ever felt that way? You may, you don't even know that person. They say something and you're like, oh, I know you. It's called cynicism. And when you're cynical, you're blocking love. But so many times, we don't give people the benefit of that. We don't let them make their mistakes. We don't let them, we, 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 we prejudge. We become cynical. We don't, we choose not to see the good in people. But you know what? That's blocking not just the love that you can give to them, but that's also blocking the love that you can receive from that person. Choose to see good in people. Choose to see good in them. Break off that cynicism. Number five. My last point before I close is the way that God chooses relationship with us before function, we need to choose relationship with others before function. Last night, I I, I was like, I had to write my sermon. I had to prepare for membership class. I had all of these things I had to do. And I was like, like I'm preaching tomorrow, honey. So like, you know, give me, give me my time. And I, I get like this. It's not, a, it's not a holy or good thing. But I just like, I need my time, honey. I can't I clean that. I can't clean that right now. I can't do that. I'm, I'm, I'm preparing my sermon. And so I like, I actually had a right to do that because I was really busy. You know, this past week I couldn't really get anything done. And then I remember. Mina was around 7.30. Ethan was crying like crazy. And Mina just said, I'm knocking out. KO'd. And she just went to sleep. And then she's like, you feed him. I was like, all right, I'll feed him. I feed him. I'm rocking. He's not sleeping. And then now it's like, and she's, she's sleeping now. She's knocked out. <laughs> and it's like 7.45, almost 8 o'clock. And I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? And then I was like, oh, God, like, I have to write this sermon. What do, what do you want me to do? But then, you know what? I said, you know what? I'm going to choose relationship. I'm going to choose my relationship with my wife. I'm going to choose my relationship with my son over the function of me being a pastor and, and having to write this sermon. I'm just going to choose. I'm going to choose relationship over function. So I just, I just kept on rocking it. Almost 8 o'clock. Eight o'clock passes, still not sleeping. And then finally he falls asleep, right? Like I had to do this thing on the bed where I lay him down and I like, he feels like he's still like in somebody's arms and rocking. And so and so yeah, and he finally falls asleep. And then it's like almost eight thirty now and I get to my room, or like not my room, but we have our, our guest room and that's where I was writing my sermon. I get in there and I'm like, God, like I don't have that much time, but you know what? God, that's when grace was released. From like 8.30 to like 11.45, 12, that's when I wrote most of my sermon. Because I, I chose the relationship over function. And in the end, I had plenty of time. But you know, I, you know the other way I could have reacted? Honey, man, this is your job. You should be doing this. I need to be writing my sermon. That's like function. This is your function. This is my function. And that cuts off love. I gotta stop doing that, honey. <laughs> it really does. When you, when you deal with people in the form of function before relationship, it's automatically cutting off any love that you can give that person. Because you're not seeing that person as a, as a person, you're seeing that person as a function. So when you, with your teachers, coworkers at home, at, at your schools, with your students, choose a relationship first. 
When you meet people on the streets, when you meet people, when you come into connection with people, choose relationship first. Yes, function is good. We all function in different ways. But, when, but the way that God, He chooses, He chooses relationship before anything that we can do for Him first. I could be the greatest guitar player. I could be the greatest worship leader. I could preach like, like bomb sermons. But if I don't have that relationship, he's like, you know what? That function means nothing to me. A relationship first. We need to be people of relationship. We need to be a people that, that, that hold relationship more sacred, more valuable than anything that people can do for us. We need to choose relationship over function. Lastly, I want to close with this. Our ability to love others must first flow out of the overflow of the love we share with our God. We have to love Him first with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and strength. And it's not because He has this complex, like, oh, you got to love me first. It's not because he, He doesn't, He's not bound to our flaws. But He says love Him first because without us experiencing His love first, and loving Him in a relationship, we're not going to know how to love like He does. We're not going to know. It says we love because He first loved us. There's a, God is a God of order. There's a, there's a reason why He says love Him first and then love other people. Yeah. It's, it's an order. You can't do the second without the first. Right. And if you're just doing the first, you're not actually doing the first. Right. There's an order. Our God is a God of order. I preached on this a while back. There's a reason why he took seven days. He did these things in order. He could have just said, bam, everything, earth, universe. No, he took days. And on on the seventh day, he rested. There's an order to what he does. Our God is a God of order. And and, in this way we love, we have to know that there's an order to it. We've got to love God first. Our love for God has to be utmost important. But it doesn't stop there. As we love God and he loves us and we get filled with the overflow, the overflow of love we experience in our relationship with Him. Out of that overflow of love, we are to love in that relationship. That's how we are able to love our enemies. That's how we are able to, to, to start taking it, having patience. That's, that's when we're able to, to speak in a good tone, even though that person is annoying you. He's talking smack about you. He's like, oh, because God loves me. I'm filled with this love. Don't try to love other people without getting that fill. Because you know what? That love, it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn you cynical. It's going to turn you, it's gonna, it might even hurt you. But you got you to gotta first be grounded in the love of God. What he, how He's loving you and how you're loving Him. Then you love other people. And we're to love in relationship. Kingdom of God advances through relationship. God's love is advanced through relationship. It means we have to get invested in people's lives. It's not about connecting with people on the surface level, spraying them with a spray of love, and then just doing our own thing. It requires investing ourselves into people. I want you guys to turn your Bibles to Romans 12. Romans 12. This is how it starts. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. 
hold fast to what is good. And he goes on, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And then in, in verse 15 it says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. And, and, and what I see here is love is not about sympathy, it's about empathy. It's about meeting people where they're at. Engaging people where they're at. Sympathy is like, oh, sorry that happened to you. You shouldn't have done that. Maybe you'll learn a lesson and not do it next time. I, I feel bad. That's sympathy. But empathy is rejoicing when they rejoice. And mourning when they mourn. Grieving when they grieve. Meeting people where they're at. Connecting with them in the place where they're at. That's how we are supposed to love. And the last key that I want to let you guys know is that the Holy Spirit is the center of all of us. You know that if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, right? With that Holy Spirit, as you get filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that's, that's what's going to cause you to, to be able to do love. Because as you get into the presence of God, you're getting filled with that love of God, love of Christ. He loves me. And you get filled with that Holy Spirit. He's, he's alive in you. It's the Holy Spirit that leads us into, into all truths. It's also the one that leads us into love. I want to close. I want us to all close our eyes. I forgot that I have to. Uh, uh, uh. I want us to close our eyes because all of us we're not none of us are exempt from this God calls us all to love. He calls us all to love in a way where it's not just words. It's not just a feeling, but it's action. It's how we live our lives. It's how we relate. How we connect with people. He calls us to love in relationships. He calls us to love sacrificially. I believe that we all need a fresh revelation of this. And it all flows from the love that He has for us. It all flows from the fact that He first loved us. And if you're, if you're one of those people you know what? I have a hard time loving. I have a hard time relating, connecting. You need a fresh revelation of God's love. So Lord, I just decree and declare that everyone in this place today will have a new revelation of what it is to love and to be loved. That we will 
take love for what it is. That we will be legit with our love. That we will be sincere with our love. Genuine with our love. <coughs> that we will put love first. That we will come with love first.